the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. I am Seth. It is Wednesday, April 12th, 2023. The phone number for you to join the show is 602-508-0960. You ready for a little ride here? Based on the latest PragerU video on letting your conscience be your guide and how damaging a personal or ethical philosophy that is, we had a caller yesterday, Larry in Tempe, who, as a self-announced man without eyesight, I have to tell you, sees perhaps better and farther than most. Whenever I hear from Larry, I think of that great line from St. Zubery's wonderful book, The Little Prince, what is essential is invisible to the eye. And that line itself may be a template or truth for the issue before us, the issue Larry was so very great at articulating yesterday, the importance of self, or rather how the self has become so much more important in our culture than almost anything else. It goes to feelings trumping facts, and it goes to that Shakespearean phrase I think has done so much damage to thine own self be true. After all, what if you are Mao or Hitler or Stalin or Pol Pot or Ted Bundy? The ethos of all this is, of course, contrary to almost all of Judeo-Christian teaching, whether it's King David saying, turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain, or Paul saying no one should seek their own good but the good of others, or simply treating your neighbor as yourself. The Bible is full of lessons in the suppression of the self and the care and concern and help of others. It is not a biblical statement that charity begins at home, after all. I know a lot of people think it is. It isn't. Now, much of this has long been with us, but it accelerated tremendously in the 1970s. The great novelist Tom Wolfe is credited for labeling the 1970s the me decade. And, you know, it strikes me the 1980s are seen by historians and educates as the greed decade. I don't know when you think of all the efforts at liberating people from communist tyranny in that decade, people in other countries from Latin America to Africa, from Afghanistan to Europe. And it's pretty hard to call Americans in the grip of greed, at least back then or looking back then. But I think the problem is really from the 1970s. And as Tom Wolfe noted, much of it came with the rise of things like self-help guru, excuse me, self-help gurus and centers and cults and primarily, though not exclusively, out of California. If you think about the 1976 Democratic presidential primary for a moment in what year Time magazine deemed the year of the evangelical, you had Jimmy Carter, who proudly spoke of his Christian faith and being born again. Same title of Chuck Colson's huge bestseller that same year. But you also had Jerry Brown. And Jerry Brown did lose to Carter, but not before taking several states and 15 percent of the vote in those primaries against Carter's 39 percent by the end of the race. And what was Governor Jerry Brown? 
as Tom Wolfe put it in his essay, Jerry Brown, quote, Jerry Brown turned out to be the Zen Jesuit, a former Jesuit seminarian who went about like a hair shirt Catholic monk, but monk, but one who happened to believe also in the Gautama Buddha and who got off koans in an offhand but confident matter, even on political issues, as to how it is not the right answer that matters, but the right question, and so forth. When young adults of that period went off to form and join communes in America, one of the least descriptive facts of those communes was a sense of community. They were really about self-soothing, self-improvement, and pleasure. We'll come back to self and self-soothing and pleasure in a moment, but do keep in mind the decline in civic participation started at this time, as did collapsing marriage rates, as did more and more infidelity in marriages, which infidelity, after all, is unfaithfulness to something else, be it a god or a wife. Tom Wolfe put this all as a third great awakening, as he called it. Of course, not so great. But writing, until this third wave, quote, most people historically did not live their lives as if thinking I only have one life to live. Instead, they had lived their lives as if they are living their ancestors' lives and their offspring's lives and perhaps their neighbors' lives as well. Made me recall something Dr. Helen Caldicott used to end her speeches, saying we did not inherit this world from our ancestors. We are borrowing it for our descendants. Wolf described some of the other aspects this way, writing, quote, By the early 1970s, so many of the me movements had reached this Gnostic religious stage. They now amounted to a new religious wave, Synanon, Arika, and the Scientology movement had become religions. The much-publicized psychedelic or hippie communes of the 1960s, although no longer big items in the press, were spreading widely and becoming more and more, frankly, religious. The huge Steve Gaskin commune, in the Tennessee scrublands was a prime example. A New York Times survey concluded that there were at least 2,000 communes in the United States by 1970, barely five years after the idea first caught on in California. But the Esalen style and primal therapy or primal screaming counter movements were becoming progressively less psychoanalytical and more mystical in their approach. The Oriental meditation religions, which had existed in the United States mainly in the form of rather intellectual and bohemian Zen and yoga circles, experienced a spectacular boom. Groups such as the Hare Krishna, the Sufi, and the Maharaji communes began to discover that they could enroll thousands of new members and in some cases make small fortunes in real estate to finance their expansion. Many members of the New Left communes of the 1960s began to turn up in me movements in the 1970s, including two of the celebrated Chicago Seven. It is entirely possible, Wolf wrote, that in the long run, historians will regard the New Left, the entire New Left experience, as not so much a political as a religious episode wrapped in semi-military gear and guerrilla talk. Close quote. And let us not forget one of the tools, by the way of all this self-satisfaction involved in so many of these movements, drugs. As Tom Wolfe wrote, quote, the sheer power of the drug LSD is not to be underestimated. This was 1976. It was quite easy for an LSD experience to take the form of a religious vision, particularly if one were among people already so inclined. You would come across someone you had known for years, a pal, only now he was jacked up on LSD and sitting in the middle of the street screaming, close quote. 
Folks, take a look at San Francisco today, I urge you, or go to Ninth Avenue and Jefferson here in Phoenix, where less addictive hallucinogens have turned to highly addictive opioids. And you don't need recovery centers here. You need exorcists. What was wrought by the me decade? Wolf concluded this, quote, this generation did something only aristocrat, excuse me, only aristocrats and intellectuals and artists were supposed to do. They discovered and started dotting and doting, sorry, started doting on me. They created the greatest age of individualism in American history. All rules are broken. The prophets are out of business. Where the third great awakening will lead, who can presume to say? One only knows that the great religious waves have a momentum all their own. Neither arguments nor policies nor acts of the legislature have been any match for them in the past. And this one has the mightiest, holiest rule of all. The beat that goes me, 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 me. Close quote. Four years after Wolf's essay, Professor Christopher Lash wrote a book titled The Culture of Narcissism. And that's what the fascination with I or me or my is, as we spoke about with Larry yesterday, from the myth of narcissists who, at the cost or expense of anything and everyone outside himself, fell in love with himself and after a while could no longer even distinguish between his own reflection and other people. After all, his love of himself could not be satisfied as much as he could satisfy it, and nobody else would come into his life after a while, or he theirs. Some who tried even killed themselves, or narcissists did, according to various versions. So toxic can self-love or selfishness be. It's not unlike what in extremists you see in these drug-addled zombies on our streets shouting only to themselves, thinking they are screaming at someone else. There is something political about this, too. And you see it in the political cultural movements of the left that want to destroy all history. Books, statues, names on schools, or just its teaching, anything that they haven't come up with, anything that offends perhaps themselves. And this culture or political cultural movement we see is asked what it is they do honor if they don't honor anything from the past. And the answer is almost nothing outside the destruction of it and the elevation of themselves. All again, ironically, very Marxist in its communist communal approach. Lash put it this way in his book, quote, Far from regarding the past as a useless encumbrance, I see the past as a political and psychological treasury from which we draw the reserves that we need to cope with the future. Are cultures indifference to the past, which easily shades over into active hostility and rejection, furnishes the most telling proof of that culture's bankruptcy. The prevailing attitude, so cheerful and forward-looking on the surface, derives from a narcissistic impoverishment of the psyche and also from an inability to ground our needs in the experience of satisfaction and contentment. Instead of drawing on our own experience, we allow experts to define our needs for us and then wonder why those needs never seem to be satisfied. As people become apt pupils in learning how to need, Ivan Illich writes, the ability to shape wants from experienced satisfaction becomes a rare competence of the very rich or the seriously undersupplied. For all these reasons, he concludes, the devaluation of the past has become one of the most important symptoms of the cultural crisis to which this book, The Culture of Narcissism, addresses itself, often drawing on historical 
experience to explain what is wrong with our present arrangements. A denial of the past, superficially progressive and optimistic, proves on closer analysis to embody the despair of a society that cannot face the future. Close quote. Rather haunting, isn't it? That was 1979. And this, it seems to me, with C.S. Lewis's warning about the propagandist thriving on the miseducation of the youth as much as with Ronald Reagan's warnings about not teaching the meaning of freedom in its history, this is how you get, as Paul Johnson once put it, Montebanks, Charismatics, Exaltes, Secular Saints, and yes, even worse. It all starts with me, the elevation of me or my conscience being my guide or my truth or to thine own self be true, the superordination of the I. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Did you have a donut today, too? You did? I don't know why you keep doing this. It is <laughs> when they're there, you'll eat them. <laughs> welcome back. To, <laughs> welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960. Tale of two state legislature expulsions. There was the one in Tennessee last week that expelled two Democratic legislators uh, for disrupting the legislature because we... We're told, were we not, that disrupting a legislature and and forcing yourselves against Capitol Police is, you know, if not treason, it's the end of democracy, right? Um, Those two legislators, having been members of the Democratic Party and now being reinstated, of course, of course, uh, were defended by all the national media. I'll say something about that in a moment. Here in Arizona today, we expelled a state legislator. A Republican House of Representatives expelled a Republican, a fellow Republican state legislator. We'll see how much the national media um, says anything about that. Will Republicans get credit for expelling a legislator here, a fellow member of the Republican Party? Will they be denounced for doing so the same way the Republican legislature was denounced in Tennessee for expelling Democrats, or will it just be seen as nothing to see here because Republicans did what I happen to think is the right thing? You know, um, uh, close listeners to the show know I have a, a, a phrase or so that goes something like, if something is too good to be true, it usually is, and if it's too bad to be true, it usually is. When I don't buy into something that seems rather extreme, uh, if you call or email me or if you wonder why I'm not aping a line that seems to be just incredible, there's usually a reason for it. Uh, and I'd like to think it goes to some of the credibility I have built up with you over the years. But I remember when this particular issue got a phone call here about uh, a hearing at the state capitol where um, this legislator who was expelled today brought in a witness uh, just pouring gasoline of a conspiracy theory all over everyone that Katie Hobbs and Adrian Fontes and Maricopa County Board's uh, members of the supervisors and other legislators and, for goodness sakes, the LDS Church were bought off and part of a Mexican drug cartel gang. 
and, you know, why wasn't I saying anything about it? And I kind of, you know, walked this caller through uh, Socratically. What makes her think any of that? What, 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 is the, what is the brain that makes one think something like that could possibly be true? And I have to tell you, I got a lot of pushback on it. Um, I did, uh, particularly through emails. But, um, of course, as time bore out, what I was saying bore out. None of this could be further. None of that could have been further from the truth. And uh, today the um, legislature here uh, expelled uh, the state rep who was responsible for that reckless testimony. Testimony which involved, oh my gosh, I mean it just, the levels and vortex you have to go down to understand the origin as, origins of it involve a bitter divorce from one of the witnesses and allegations from that divorce that thrown out of their own courts. Anyway, uh, so the state legislature here in Arizona did something it hadn't done in a while. It is it is a rare occurrence. I think the last time a legislator was expelled was well, five or six years ago, I think, I think. And it does take two-thirds vote. Uh, and uh, obviously the uh, the Republicans uh, who have the majority, uh, the majority of Republicans anyway, uh, in this legislature did it. And I, I just wonder, will, will, will the New York Times and CNN go whole hog against them for expelling a member, which is such a dramatic thing as they did with the um, – with the legislature in Tennessee that expelled uh, two state representatives for disrupting the processes there and uh, helping bring in something, I have to tell you, uh, far less immediately harmful than mere words. I mean, after all, what we are talking about in Arizona was testimony, mere words. What we are talking about in Tennessee was a storm of protesters slash rioters breaking into the legislature, assaulting state capitol police in that instance, and using bullhorns to stop the legislative processes, more than just words. So words here, I suppose, being violent, words and violence there not being violent. Um, The hypocrisy knows no end here. We're never going to win on the hypocrisy war. I think we do win when we point this stuff out. And I'll say more about this in a minute. Charles Cook at the National Review has a really good line on this. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. He is the host of his own radio show, here, heard here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., The Word on Wealth. He is John Dombrowski, president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates, grandcanyonplanning.com. His website, how are you, John? Doing great. Thank you, Seth. How about you? I'm doing just fine. I saw Al McCoy in the news this morning, and I thought of you. Oh. Yeah, Shazam, right? What a what, what is it? What a burger, what a shot. <laughs> what did was that one of his? What a burger, what a shot. 50 to $50 for uh, $50 every three-pointer when Dan Marley made those three-pointers <laughs> way back when. <laughs> Good for you, John. Good for you. You flagged a story here. Fed expects banking crisis to cause a recession this year. Hmm, after all. 
Oh, talk to us yeah. about this. Well, now they're talking. Well, this was some of the, I guess, from the minutes from yep. the notes that, that in their meeting, mm-hmm. uh, and some of the the Fed uh, members believe that hey, this is you know we're in for a recession. There's mixed views on this. I mean, we've been going back and sure. forth on this. You know, deep, light, who knows? Recession, no recession. Are we already in a recession? You know, the definition's been changed. Yes. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, many people believe we're probably in a recession already. Okay. Uh, and, um, you know, whether or not we are going to be in a, uh, you know, a recession based on what the new definition is or not, uh, it looks like the Fed believes that it's possible. And, um, you know, they're, they're attributing it to some of the uh, issues uh, from the Silicon Valley Bank. Mm-hmm. Once we saw that first bank fail, um, the thought is is that it's very possible that we could have uh, some additional uh, banks failing as well, and then that's going to create some consumer, uh, you know, uh, you know, issues. And whether the confidence is going to uh, wane, which it probably will, as we're already starting to see, people are being a little bit more fiscally responsible with their spending. They're starting to pull back. Uh, so it's very possible that we will begin to see uh, some numbers from some of the corporations as they report uh, after Q1, uh, what the numbers are and what they're going to be forecasting moving forward. I have to say you've been very consistent on reporting on this and the way you have. If you wanted consistency leading to truth, you would not be listening to this administration on this. At first, the inflation was to be transitory. Second, the banks right. were not going to lead to any real problems. Now we're learning in both cases neither of those things were true, or at least neither of those were believed by the people who told us that to be true. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's obvious uh, messaging uh, that, that's coming out of the administration yeah. that conflicts with some of the data that we do see. Yeah, that's right. And the next question then, I guess, related to inflation has to do with if this is now going to become general knowledge, is there going to be, do you think, more pressure on the Fed for another something like maybe, I don't know, half point increase on the rate or something like that? I don't think so. I think I still believe that we may be in for a quarter point hike okay. um, in, in May. Okay. Um, I mean, things could change. Yeah. But uh, if anything, it would seem almost as if that that would lessen the chance of a Fed rate hike yeah. if, if they believe that we were heading into a recession and if they believe that there would be additional bank failures ahead of us. Um, you know, I, I think it was uh, Warren Buffett that also was uh, interviewed today on CNBC mm-hmm. saying that he believed, yes, there would probably be more bank failures. He doesn't believe it's a reason for anyone to panic. Of course, most people don't have more than $250,000 in a bank. Um so I don't think that that's, that's going to be an issue uh, as well. But uh, anytime there's a, you know, something such as a bank failing, I mean, that's, that's, that's a, you know, concerning. More, it should be concerning. More than what they told us it would be. Yeah, I yeah, mean, it should yeah, be concerning yeah. because, I mean, we put our money in a bank with the understanding that our money is safe. That's yeah. why it's there. <laughs> we, gi- we give up the that's opportunity right. to earn, you know, any rate of return yes. on it. We, we try to remove all the risk as possible from it. And we're told, and there's that sign right on the counter yep. when you walk into a bank, FDIC. Yeah. No, that's and a good that's point. why we put the money there. Otherwise, we would put the money under the mattress, right? That's exactly right. Uh, so uh, I think that we have to, you know, hold hold them accountable. Yeah. And uh, so that's that's 
I guess that's where I'm at. Yeah, no, good, good. I'm glad. I, I want to, uh, and we will do so together. And you've been great on this. Thank you, John Dabrowski. You bet. You bet, Seth. Thank you. Again, folks can get in touch with me. Go to our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA and CIPIC, and an investment advisor. Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Bless you, you, John. Seth. You bet. Right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. I'm Seth, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. The aforementioned Larry in Tempe has called in. I told him I would uh, do a monologue based on his call yesterday. Larry, how'd we do? Oh, it was very good as usual. Oh, thank you. Very good. Thanks. Quite the interesting topic, and it always gives lots of thought to shine on the light today compared to years ago and I know we're about the same age and looking back to when we were kids I one of the things I thought of when I was listening to you is we always growing up and kid in Sunday school we did this song that I don't remember much of it it had hand motions and everything and I don't remember what all those were but it was something about not building your house upon the sand but upon the rock okay, okay. and the meaning of it is that when you build your foundation on sand and we anybody that knows anything about construction knows a good foundation is nice solid concrete and the taller a building the deeper into the ground that that foundation goes but if you build a foundation on sand it's going to sift away and move and shift and um, that's what we see with people these days who's Intent is self-first. It's always changing because your truth is going to be different than my it's truth. It's going to be sand, isn't it? It's going to be shifting sand. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's never going to be the same. It's always going to change, and there's no reason why to expect otherwise when we put self-first because my interest is always going to be more important than yours. Mm-hmm. 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 That... that that not only gets one into a fight over i mean it's really the classic fight from uh the dialogue of Pla- in um socrates has with thrasymachus in plato's republic um matter uh, uh, thrasymachus's argument is that justice is just merely the power that comes from the strongest the strongest movement it's uh what Nietzsche might have called the will to power uh, later. But it's the argument that Lincoln tried to turn on its head and that we thought we had turned on its head with the founding of our own country, which was that right makes might, might doesn't make right. Something isn't true just because you say it is any more than it's true just because it gets itself accepted into the marketplace of ideas. You know, people can vote for something insane. It doesn't make it true. People have done so. This is obviously a real problem with democracy. Democracy, it's obviously a real problem with parliamentary democracies. It's obviously a real problem with our culture today where no one is telling these children or these, in some cases, children in adult bodies that your truth is meaningless. 
It is absolutely mm-hmm. meaningless. Now, it might coincide. It might be coterminous with the truth. But the moment you say it's your truth, you have disabled it from being the truth. You have, di- you have distinguished it from being the truth. And the more we coddle this nonsense, the more we're going to empower nonsense, and we're going to give it power. We're going to give it more and more power, such that might will make right in this country. That's the way it's, it looks a lot. Yeah. And um, it, none of us, I don't know a single person in my life currently or that I've ever known that was perfect. And not that every mistake is horrible, but I make plenty of them. And to say that, to, to base any, like previously said, any foundation on my knowing the right answer all the time is problematic all in and of itself. Which was, yes, and that was the, if I'm not mistaken, that was the origin of the point of the PragerU video, wasn't it? That to let your conscience be your guide can be an awfully, awfully bad map, an awfully uneasy guide. Rather let, I think he said, truth, courage, God, and reason be your guide, and not your truth, but the truth. That's right. That's where that firm foundation, that solid foundation comes into play. I'm not depending on establishing what's right. I'm depending on, in the case of the way Dennis was talking about it and how we were kind of talking about it, depending upon God or godly morals establishing that that solid foundation. I I don't know the song, I don't think, that you're referencing from Sunday School, but I I did look something (laughs) up here and... Is this a part of it? The foolish man built his house upon yes. the sand. The rains came down yep. and the floods came up and the house on the sand went smash. Yep. Is that it? Okay, good. Yep. Good. The, the foolish man built his yeah. house upon the sand. The yeah. foolish man built his house upon the sand. <laughs> and so on and so forth. <laughs> Won't well, display my wonderful singing skills. Singing prowess. Nicely done, Larry. Yeah. Well, thank you for giving thank us so much of a topic to chew on. I appreciate you very much, sir. Well, you're welcome. I'm happy to call in and listen every day. Appreciate your show and your truth. Thank Not you. your truth, but the truth <laughs> my, <guess>. my, my <laughs> feeble attempt to do something about exposing the truth. Okay, thank you. I'll take it that way, Larry. Call frequently. Rob is in surprise. Hello, Rob. Hi, Seth. Um, I promise not to sing for you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask uh, whether you like Jeff Beck, and Jeff Beck's kind of a hard guy to sing with since all of his songs are instrumental um did you like jeff Beck, by the way not a not a not an artist i i've spent much time with enough to like or not like uh, people what was the other one someone asked me recently if i i i don't know let's ask bill bill are you a jeff beck no oh yeah not enough not not enough not of enough. a background oh, okay. yeah yeah it, it requires some listening i i like them because he used the fingers and i also liked them because even though he just passed away recently, um, he he kept playing yeah. until he was you know seventy eight and stuff. Well, anyway, you got to love it. To you got to love yeah. it. Yeah, and you can't you can't really sing along to the songs either. So I mean, I like the Yardbirds. I mean, don't get me wrong. Oh yeah. I mean, well, and again, you know, he and uh, Jimmy Page and yeah. uh, Eric Clapton, they're all part of the Holy Trinity guitarists. Yeah, they didn't all play at the same time, but. They all kind of started off in uh, Yardbirds and kind of took off their own way from there. And actually, that's a that's a great topic for any guitar 
uh, listeners to your show is, you know, who do you think may have been the best guitarist to come out of the Yardbirds? And although Jimmy Page is probably, well, it's hard to say. Jimmy's probably the most famous. I don't know, Eric Clapton's. The most famous isn't always the best. That's right. We know this to be yeah. true. We know this to be true. Yeah. I know it with Trumpet that's the case as well. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, you brought up some good stuff about this whole uh, uh, thing on, on narcissism. Yes, sir. And it's, it's interesting when you go back, and, and this is something I guess maybe you can appreciate. First of all, narcissism isn't a new thing, and it must no. be a part of human nature. Because, of course. You know, I think it was Ovid. In, well, it goes back century. even before Ovid, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. but I think he he, he, he had one version a, of it. You know. Yeah, he had in, in his uh, one of his books. Let me uh, where... let me take the quick commercial break. Let me do that real sure. quick, and we'll have you weigh in on Greek mythology and our current and contemporary conundrums. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Rob, on narcissism. Sir, thanks for your patience. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not saying I am one, um, I hope. <laughs> but um, I know later on, uh, you know, guys like Freud and Young and uh, a guy named Havelock Ellis, who I think was a physician, they, they would talk about, like, late 19th century, about narcissism as a form of... Uh, pathology and mental illness yes and now we have narcissistic personality disorder right exactly and and you know the, the characteristics and I, I think again about you know the trans movement and a lot of these unstable lefties and all the crap that goes on and you know they they have certain characteristics you know, inflated egos. And, is not all Marxism. Is not all Marxism no. narcissistic uh, in the That's sense, right. right? We shall be as gods. What could be more narcissistic yeah. than that? Yeah. And, you know, they, they, they need attention. Uh, they don't believe in boundaries. They, they don't have any empathy, you know, for those that are that think differently. Um, the last thing a commune I, did, commune, communism yeah. coming from commune, the last thing it did was... In, care about community well yeah and and i think that's one of the things that you know when you think about all that what you know what what would be the greatest thing a narcissist would be afraid of and and to me it's well there's two things one a feeling of vulnerability yeah and number two uh being normal what about truth um, what about truth what about what about know. what about telling them i'm sorry you're wrong well, see, that doesn't enter into, well, it may enter into the narcissistic uh, personality. Oh, I think it is. I think it is. I don't think you can no. tell someone with NPD that they're wrong. No, and, and it's, it's probably the ego that, that prevents that yeah. from happening. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, you compare a whole history of a couple thousand plus years, and again, this, this is a great example of human nature not changing, uh, nor does uh, nor do some of the uh, aberrations of human nature right. like narcissism. Right. Um, this is one of those things that seems to fit in really well. And as much as I uh, enjoy the monologue, and especially anything with Tom Wolf in it, um, I think you're hitting on a really good point Thanks. Uh, that applies excellently to a lot of the problems socially yeah. that we have. I think, this is know, a, I think this is the big one. I think it's the big yeah. cultural problem we have now. It's a new religion. It's not a mental disorder anymore. It's a religion. 
Yeah, and and you look at everybody on their cell phones yep. rather than interacting with each other. Yeah, well, there's that yeah. too. There is an involvement of that too, and of what people put up on their. Yes, oh my gosh, uh, that's a yeah. that's another monologue. You bet. Thank you, Rob. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.